The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm wanting to get into the Word this morning, mainly because there's elements of the Word this morning that I, I'm greatly excited to have imparted into my own life. Uh, areas of my life have, have been in desperate need of this, and I'm excited to see God reveal it to, uh, to us all together this morning. Uh, as we get into the Word this morning, I want to encourage, if you're able to take some notes, that's great. Uh, sometimes writing things down helps us to uh, remember them. It obviously gives you a point to recall the information and then two, God is always speaking to you personally. I mean, he loves you. He has wonderful things for you. He wants to do great things for you and in your life. And, and as you have the opportunity to get into the word on your own, it's a great and wonderful time where God speaks to you and delivers wonderful truth to you. So we're all going to hear a message this morning, and I think that's fantastic. But God's going to continue that message in our lives individually, your life, my life. And I'm trusting and believing uh, for great things to come from that. So as we get into the word here this morning, there's a few things that we can uh, find, uh, things that you might be able to, to look for as we go through the scriptures. Uh, if you want to write them down, you're welcome to. One thing is going to be proof that God is in you, proof that God is in us. Now, if this proof is absent or it's missing, we ought to do some evaluation. I mean, we ought to maybe uh, sit down and, and have some conversation about what needs to take place. But there's an evidence and a proof that God is in your life, and it's written out in the Scripture there. It, it's not something that we have to fabricate or read between the lines. It's just spoken very plainly, and it ought to be something that uh, causes us to examine ourselves individually and examine ourselves as a congregation. I think it's very important that the Spirit of God be moving and in a group, in a church, a group of believers. Another thing we're going to find is what makes you desirable? What makes any person desirable? Now, I mean, this is kind of a big deal, and I don't want to make it carnal, but I know about this time of year, you know, you have New Year, the New Year coming, and, and you have a whole lot of New Year resolutions, and most of those resolutions are, you know, probably about being better in some way, shape, or form, being more desirable in one way, shape, or form. Uh, whether it is relationally or whether it is physically, I have a feeling that this is a good time to own a gym. I think gym memberships probably go up about the new year. You know, uh, I know I got a piece of fitness equipment for Christmas. I don't know what she was hinting at, but I kind of, yeah, she, I did. I did ask for it. I, 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 it's, it's, you know, I did use it once already. So that's all right. Uh, but we're, there's something in the scripture that God identifies that makes us desirable. When we find out what that is, then we can pursue it. It can be pursued. It, it can be obtained. I mean, there's, there's an element in our lives that, that makes us desirable. It's clear in the scripture there, and, and we ought to know what that is, and we ought to pursue it. And then a third thing that we're going to find is how to be kind. How to be kind. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that kindness is released, in your words and your attitudes and actions and things like that. But there are some, some biblical parameters for kindness to exist. And when we, when we see to it that we're operating within those parameters, then we create the right environment for kindness to prevail. So how to be kind. We're going to see that in the scripture, and I'm really excited for that. Now, here's how we, we began uh, where we're at. We've been talking about the importance of love 
We're going to get to kindness in just a moment, but I told you before we're going to find out proof that God is in us. We're going to start right there. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I want to look at verses 7 through 14. Now, that's going to be, you know, seven passages of Scripture there. As you turn there, have you ever heard anyone say, you, you know, you don't know what you've got until it's gone? You know, that's a real shame. But I found out this morning which projector is my favorite. Did you find yourself staring over there to the right at a blank screen? I mean, what does that say? There's got to be some kind of a, like, personality thing. Maybe a quirk. Maybe it means I'm nuts. I don't know. But I really missed that guy this morning. So I'll be looking to, to get that remedied and have it back up and running. You know, there's nothing wrong with this one. But for some reason, I think that one is my favorite because I caught myself looking over there often. Uh, but proof that God is in us. I asked you to go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 is revealing to us wonderful and incredible things concerning love and the love of God. Uh, I want to uh, begin here in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. I want to stop there and just, you know, the, the, the buzzword throughout those statements is love. Love is the most important uh, uh, in, uh, factor in these statements. It's, it's identifying of those who are born of God. It is identifying of those who are of God. Love is so absolutely important in this passage of Scripture. And as John continues to write, he writes this. By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Now propitiation is a word we don't use very much today. It just means he took your place on the cross. All of that punishment, all of that wrath was meant for you, but Jesus took your place. So that's the love that's manifest, that God sent Jesus to take your place on the cross. It goes on to say, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we also should love one another. He goes on to say, If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. I want to stop there for a second. When I see the word if, I see this conditional statement. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It goes on to say that by this we know that we abide in him and that he in us. Because he's given us his spirit. And we've seen and we testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Our love for one another is absolutely important. I mean, when Jesus is talking about his disciples being identified to this world, he doesn't talk about how many bumper stickers they have or how often they attend church or how many prayer meetings they're a part of or, or uh, what they post on Facebook or those kinds of things. But what he says is you're going to be identified as my disciples by your love for one another. It's not about showing the world how intelligent you are with the scripture. It's about living out the scripture in your life. The love expressed one to another is revealing to this world that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, that we're born again of the kingdom of God, 
that we are operating in the Spirit of God, that we're called by His name, that we are His own and not our own. So love is absolutely important. Now, we started on this because we want to identify, so what makes up love? Because, I mean, I cracked a joke last week that, you know, I've eaten a taco before that apparently I loved, right? I mean, take that first bite, man, I love this taco. I mean, we use the word love all the time. You can, you, you can express love verbally very easily. And, and unfortunately, I think that can put us in a position where an understanding of what makes up love and all of its value and all of its importance can be diminished slightly. What is meant to be this, this uncommon declaration of our connection with our, our Heavenly Father becomes this common, almost slang term that becomes meaningless. So we look to the Scripture for a definition or an outline of love so that it becomes more than just another four-letter word in our vocabulary. And we go to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, this is the foundation. We're going to get into the actual meat of the message in a moment. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you see love identified. You see it defined. You see it described. The first words beginning in verse 4 are love is. So you know that what follows after this is going to be this identification or this description of the attributes that make up what love actually consists of. And it begins with patience. Love is patient. Now, we talked about patience last week. I remember, you know, making a statement last week that I often tell my wife I love you. But it might be convicting if I say I'm patient with you. She might say, really? (laughs) You think so? We need to talk. But if I'm going to love her, I'm going to be patient with her because love is patient. And it goes on to describe other attributes that make up love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast or brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account wrong suffered. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It it bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things, endures all things. And then this wonderful declaration when you get to verse 8 is that love never fails. I think that's really important because there's a lot of areas of my life where I desire to see success. And the world might tell me what's needed for success, and it might be all kinds of different things. But what the scripture tells me is the one thing that never ever fails is love. I mean, let me give you an example. If you were to define the ministry of Jesus Christ, the world might define it as a colossal failure. Well, you know, you had good times and bad times. Sometimes there were big crowds, and then other times people wanted to kill you. And then there were times you preached, and and the crowds hated what you said, and they all left. You know, and then there were those times, too, when, when even your closest people, you know, those that, that had committed and pledged their life, they all left you because they just couldn't hang with you anymore. You'd cross lines, you know. And then you were taken, you were accused of blasphemy, and you were killed. I mean, is that is, is success or failure? I mean, if as a pastor I came here and I preached messages and those messages were so controversial that half of you got up and left, I mean, the headline might read, local pastor bombs big time. Because the world's definition of success is going to be, you know, everyone, uh, the accolades and everyone being on board with what's going on and the drawing of the crowd and those things. 
So we've got to be careful about what we define as being uh, successful and what we define as being a failure. What we know the scripture says is that love never fails. So to see success in any aspect of my life, my marriage, child rearing, ministry, business, I know that for success to exist, I need to make sure that I inject love. Which sounds a little corny unless I know what love is made up of, patience, kindness, all of those things that obviously would lead to great success. Some of the most successful and fruitful people I've ever been around could be described as being patient and kind, not envious, and all of those things. So we've got to take love and we need to restore it to its rightful place where it's no longer just a common overused word, but it's an understood truth of those things that are required and necessary for success. So as we get into the word here concerning the things that make up love, we spoke of patience last week. I want to talk about kindness this week. Now, there's a part of me that has struggled with kindness, uh, just uh, being a little bit of a type A personality. You know, it's, it's easy for me to be very confident in my opinion or my view and therefore be slightly pushy with said opinion or view. Uh, kindness is something that is important. It's necessary. And without kindness, love is incomplete. And love is a powerful thing. Obviously, it identifies us as being of God. But love also is what delivers from fear and anxiety. If you continue to read John's writings, you'll see that John writes things like, there's no fear in love, but the perfect love of God drives out fear. Love is a powerful thing. It needs to be complete and active in our lives, and it will never be complete in our lives without kindness. I told you before, you know, we're going to find out what makes you desirable. What makes anyone desirable? I want to get into the scripture and find that. If you have your Bibles there, you're welcome to turn to the Proverbs. Proverbs 19, verse 22. I read a New American Standard generally. Sometimes we pull from other translations uh, because of the, uh, the word and the interpretation. But Proverbs 19, verse 22, it reads like this. What is desirable in a man? His kindness. What is desirable in a man? His kindness. Uh, that should just cause us to pause and step back and see that all of these pursuits of things that we perceive will make us more desirable, promotable, acceptable, or anything along those lines, anything outside of kindness, though it might have some promise attached to it, is going to fall short. It's going to be empty and vain, a priority that we ought to pursue as we're seeking to be promotable or desirable in any way, shape, or form should be kindness. That would be one that I think uh, my wife would probably cough up the cash to go have, like, tattooed on my arm. You know, we could be in a conversation. She could be like, read your arm. Read your arm. I'm just joking. I don't have any ink. I'm not really that kind of guy. But the point is, is to make it a permanent part of your life. What makes you desirable? Your kindness. When I think about that, I, I consider this. I, I just think, man, there's been a lot of times in my life where I've not been very desirable. There's been many times in my life where all this hot stuff right here was not very desirable because kindness was absent. 
There was a greater pursuit of, of being right or winning the argument or, or getting my way. And all of those things prevailed over what would have made me desirable in any situation or any circumstance, simple kindness. Now, kindness is something that when we find ourselves running short on it, we need to understand it has a source. I mean, like many of the things that we enjoy in our life, there are sources where they come from, and kindness definitely has a source. You can find it in Galatians chapter 5 in verses 22 and 23. Now, we refer to these things as the fruits of the Holy Spirit, but kindness is among them. It reads like this, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit of the Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit produces these things, kind of like the fruit of an apple tree is apples. That's where you go to get it. So I understand something now. When I read the fruits of the Holy Spirit, I realize that, you know, God sees this as so important and so necessary to my life and to your life that he would bring all of redemption into full fruition, that he would send Jesus to the earth for Jesus to minister, for Jesus to suffer, for Jesus to die in my place. He would call Jesus out of the grave, that he would ascend him to heaven and he would pour out the Holy Spirit, all so that the Holy Spirit could be in my life to produce kindness. It makes kindness a bit of a priority when you think of it that way. Now, kindness is also a biblical requirement. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Now, when I use the word requirement, I don't want you to think of God as a tyrant. I want you to understand that he's pointing out the priority, the importance of kindness. We get distracted very easily. And before you know it, our priorities can be all kinds of messed up. And as God draws us back into what's truly a priority by his grace and by his goodness, he's showing us the things that really matter versus the things that don't. I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of Micah. Micah 6, verse 8. It reads like this. He has told you, O man, and the he there is capital, so you're, it's God that's speaking. He's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? I mean, for all of the, the rules and regulations that men would erect to be pleasing to God, God simply says, hey, listen, there's a few things that I want you to catch. What do I require of you but these things? To do what's right. Do justice. To love kindness. That means embrace kindness. Make kindness be the priority of your words and your actions. Love it. Don't forsake it. Embrace it. And then to walk humbly before your God, which means that when you do justice and when you love kindness, you don't start to think you're hot stuff. Well, look at me. You'll never find a more just and kind man on the earth. How desirable am I? But to walk humbly, to continue to understand God without your spirit, justice and kindness are far from me. But by your spirit, I can do what's right. And by your spirit, I can continue to love kindness as you lead me and guide me. That's how you walk humbly. I mean, what simple requirements, but what powerful elements. If this group of people right here, if we would all say, you know, that's going to define my life. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to be kind when I do it. 
because that's been a problem for me. Hey, listen, I'm more interested in being right than being kind. That's a problem. I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to be kind while I do it, and the whole time I'm not going to get puffed up. I think we could accomplish some great things. It's going to require the Spirit of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, evident and flowing through our lives, and because of the work of Jesus Christ, he's made that possible. Another passage of Scripture, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9. Zechariah 7, verse 9, it reads like this. Thus, this is what God has said. Dispense true justice. That just means, you know, do what's right. And practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. These are the simple requirements. And in fact, when Jesus is dealing with with hypocrisy through the New Testament, he's reminding people of this. He gets into situations where people have rejected what the word calls true justice and they've rejected kindness and they've rejected compassion and they've become fixated on small, little, intricate uh, details that really mean nothing. They're empty in their vein. And he says, listen, there are important things that you're supposed to do and if you reject them, it won't matter what you do It won't be pleasing to God. If we can't walk in justice, if we can't live in kindness, if we can't operate in compassion toward our brother, no matter what rules we follow, no matter how many services we attend, no matter how many scriptures we can quote, it's all for nothing. Paul said the same thing when he said, if I do all these things, but I don't have love, I'm a waste of time. I'm like a clanging cymbal when I speak. It's all for nothing. Kindness. As we hear these things, it's not just simply meant to put the word kindness at the front of our vocabulary, but it's meant to stir in us a a shift in priorities. You might feel a need to shift in your prayer life, that all of a sudden the things that we pray for sound more like this. Father, I want kindness to prevail in my mind, in my heart. I want kindness to be released in my words and in my actions. I want kindness to flow from me to those around me, that it might have its wonderful effect. And kindness has wonderful effects. I want to give you a few passages of scripture here about the effects of kindness. Kindness is absolutely necessary for redemption of any kind. I mean, you don't have to put your hands up. You're welcome to because I have a feeling hands would go up. How many of you have ever had someone uh, wrong you in one way, shape, or form? I mean, if I had more hands, I'd put them up. I only have two. I mean, people have done stuff to you. Uh, how many of you have done something wrong to someone else? I mean, again, if I had more hands, I'd put them up. Wrongdoing is a thing, but yet kindness is part of the solution for that because kindness is necessary for redemption. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture as we continue to emphasize the priority of kindness in our lives. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Don't think lightly of the riches of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience. Know that the kindness of God is what leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. So I don't want to just, you know, tip my hand entirely. But oftentimes when I'm 
in a situation where I know there's been wrongdoing, whether I've been the recipient of that wrongdoing or whether I'm standing as a mediary or a counselor between those things, my prayer will generally sound something like this. Father, bless your son with your kindness. Now, here's what they're hearing. They're hearing like, hey, that sounds good. And what I'm actually praying is, Father, lead this dirtbag to repentance. Now, I mean, dirtbag is in there just for a little shock value and humor. But that's the point of the prayer. Father, bless them with your kindness. Lead them to a point of repentance. Lead them to a point of change. If your word declares that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance, then let that be what this person receives in order that they might come to an understanding of the pain and the suffering that their actions are causing, that they might realize this destruction, repent of it, turn from it, and return to what's right. And all of that is summed up in, Father, bless them with your kindness. Because it's kindness that leads to repentance. I've spent plenty of time praying, asking God to lead people to repentance. I remember one time, you guys have heard the stories, but I'm a pastor. I get to tell the same stories over and over, and I get to tell the same jokes, and there's kind of this like religious obligation to chuckle, you know, and I'm sorry, but it's just kind of, it comes with the territory. It's one of the the perks. I had been greatly wronged. There was horrible gossip. I mean, it it was so foul and, and destructive. Rumors were spread that my family was homeless and that we had lost everything, and and it wasn't true at all. In fact, the opposite was true. I mean, the way I came to hear of this rumor was my wife was shopping for our Thanksgiving groceries, and someone from the church, did you hear that? From the church, not a former church member, but someone who was an active member of the church, saw my wife at the grocery store and said, wow, it's so good to see you. What are you doing? She said, buying groceries. She said, really? (laughs) Yeah, that's what we do, you know. Welcome to Walmart. (laughs) And it was Thanksgiving, so she was picking out the turkey, you know, kind of looking through there and picking the turkey. So y'all are having Thanksgiving? My wife is like, well, of course we are. Really? Where are you going to have it? Well, at our house. (gasps) Really? I'd heard you were homeless. And I'm thinking, we are a church member, so thanks for reaching out, you know. (laughs) Golly. And I mean, it was malicious gossip. It was so destructive. There was such an agenda. It was so gross and foul. I'd never seen anything like it before. And when I shared it with the the, uh, apostolic men in my life, they, they themselves too, they were floored by it. Oh, she heard it at a prayer meeting. Well, that's where gossip flows best, right? Father, help our pastor who's homeless now. Yes, yes, bless him with your kindness. Just joking. All of that, that horrible gossip, and I remember, you know, I was so uh, angered by it because I'm thinking I've poured out my life for you people. I've been, I can't, I drug my family here to help save this situation. This is what I, ah, you know, so I better pray about it. God, strike them dead now. You've done it before. I've read you've opened up the earth and swallowed people straight into hell. Can you do it again, please? One time, just one time, one time. Terrible prayers, you know. One of the prayers was, I thought this sounded really righteous, okay, because it just sounded kind of formal, you know. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, dry up the tongue of the gossip. Ooh. 
my tongue swelled up and I couldn't talk for two days. <laughs> I mean it. I'm serious. You can ask my wife. It's like, I repent. I repent. Bless me with your kindness. Bless me with your kindness. <laughs> I mean, it was true. So now I understand, you know, when Jesus says pray for your enemies, he doesn't say pray about your enemies, which is what I was really good at. I can pray about my enemies all day long. He says pray for them to help them out of their error. Pray blessing. Pray that God gets them in whatever way you think is most creative. But kindness is necessary for redemption. It's important. It's, It's absolutely necessary. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here out of Titus. Titus chapter 3, I want to look at verses 3 through 6. Now, I like this because I, I can fit in. When it starts, I don't, I, the bar's not set so high that I feel like it's not achievable. It opens with this, we were once ourselves foolish. And I think, okay, well, now this applies to me. <laughs> I can read this one, no problem. We were once ourselves foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in anger and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now remember, Jesus says love one another, but Paul ends this as hating one another. Now here's verse 4, but I want you to hear this really clearly. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. Now I'm going to paraphrase that and trim it down. But when the kindness of God appeared, we were all, we hated each other. We were angry. We were jealous and envious. We were mean. We were mean as snakes. We were venomous. We were violent. We were all of these horrible things. But when the kindness of God came in, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of our deeds, which were hateful toward one another. But we have done in him righteousness. Excuse me, on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. But according to his mercy. Not on the basis of our deeds, but on the basis of his mercy. And then it says the two things by which he accomplished this. The washing of regeneration, that's being born again, and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. That is the the Holy Spirit's activity in your life, the the renewal of your mind, changing your habits, and, and creating the things that are godly inside of us. And it says that it's by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out richly through us in Jesus Christ. Now that entire passage there is rich with incredibly powerful truth. But the one element that I want us to focus on is when it all changed. That point that, you know, the actual word that would be used from the Greek is a word like crisis. It means a turning point. It doesn't always necessarily mean for the worse, but it was, it, now today it does, but then it was just a turning point. There's a turning point in this statement. We were horrible. We were terrible. We were awful to each other. We hated each other. And then it all turned around, and it all turned around when the kindness of God appeared. Kindness. Now, I'm realizing something. I can be having the most hell-on-earth conflict with my wife or the most horrible situation with my children. They could be throwing one of those fits where you just think, like, God, Why? And I realize now, no matter how bad it is, when I read that statement, 
foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, lust, pleasures, spending life in anger, envy, hateful, hating one another. It doesn't get any worse than that. And all of that can turn around when the kindness of God appears. I now understand it's not about being bigger than you, stronger than you, able to outlast you with my profanity and my anger, but now it's about introducing the kindness of God. That's what will turn this thing around. It's not about winning, it's about disarming all of it. And salvation, being born again, has a so that attached to it. Uh, If you're not familiar with that, you know, I mean, when we're reading the word together, when we see words like so that or therefore, we like to pause, you know, and say, well, why is that there? I mean... Sometimes there are cause and effect, and and as Christians, we hear lots of sermons about the effect, and we sing songs about the effect, and you notice I pointed to that projector, because I love that projector. We sing songs about the effect, but if we don't embrace the cause that brings the effect into our lives, we can be wanting and lacking. It might not be present in our lives. So that, a reason, it's revealing why. That's another reason that we stop for the so that, so that we can have understanding why God has done the things that he's done. When the word tells us God did this, so that, it can increase our understanding as to the the reasons behind the action that God has taken. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, they read like this, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin and our transgression, excuse me, our transgression, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved and raised up with Jesus, seated with him in heavenly places, so that, did you catch that? So you have all of this, the grace that brings about salvation, being included with Jesus Christ, seated in heavenly places, so that, here comes the reason why all of that has taken place, so that in the ages to come, God might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. God has done all of these things. Sent Jesus to the cross, pulled him out of the grave, he ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit poured out, all so that we could be included with Jesus, seated with him. And the reason behind all of that is so that for all of eternity, God could continue to display, reveal, and release his kindness to us. It's pretty cool, huh? Kindness. It makes me want to pursue kindness. Now, there are keys to kindness, and this is really kind of the point. So if you've started to doze off, I'm all out of jokes, you're going to have to dig deep and, and, and dial back in. This comes to the point. If we hear about kindness and we hear about the importance of kindness and the priority of kindness, we have now received information, information that kindness is important. But if we don't understand what we must do to have kindness operating in our lives, then we're stuck with that information that just testifies that we're falling short. But if we can go beyond that to receive what God has released in his word by his grace and by his goodness, instruction, instruction in how to walk in kindness, how to speak in kindness, how to behave in kindness, well, then we can embrace, achieve, and release kindness through our life and all of these wonderful benefits of kindness will be the result. 
So I want to offer a few passages of Scripture here as kind of keys to kindness. And I want to offer them to you with this in mind. When we read through them here and now, you may not just catch what it is that it means to you. But I want to ask you to revisit just these three passages of Scripture at some point in the week. And ask God, God, how can this become instruction for my life? Let this become something that, that has an influence and an effect on me that I never be the same upon reading these passages of Scripture for the purpose of kindness existing and prevailing not only in me but through me. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to look at verses 29 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4. It's going to be speaking about kindness. It's going to be speaking about a number of elements that are necessary for kindness to exist. And I'm going to trust that the Spirit of God will lift those words off the page and bring them to life in our hearts. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment. I mean, I want to stop right there. Edification in this passage of scripture, is a construction term. The word unwholesome, let no unwholesome word, if you look up that definition of unwholesome from the Greek word that's used there, it literally means rotten. Now, rot spreads. When something is rotten, it is corrupt, it is, it is destructive, it, it is deteriorating in its nature, it is tearing down. If I were to leave an apple on the podium, and we didn't touch it, and every week we just came and checked on it, you would see it slowly just dissolve into goo. Unwholesome word, that which is injected into a situation, and the one whom it is injected toward becomes smaller and diminished. Don't let those rotten words leave your mouth, but rather speak words, and here comes that construction term, that edify it literally means to build up according to the plan. To build up according to the plan. I love according to the plan because that means it is on purpose. I mean, I like success, but I, I grow weary of becoming successful accidentally. You know, where you have a good conversation and someone's built up and you're like, man, it kind of worked out. I like that. Wished it happened that way all the time. Because accidental success is, is, is what makes life a roller coaster. You know, well, we didn't meet that one, we got that one, we missed that one. If we can be intentional with this, it's just how we behave all the time. Building up according to the plan. So let no rotten word proceed from your mouth, but only the words that are good for the building up according to the need of the moment. Now that's a big one. Being able to understand the moment that we're in. I mean, there have been tons of times in different relationships, whether it was ministry, whether it was friendship, whether it was marriage, a lot in marriage, but not because I'm odd or my wife is odd, but because we have so much to relate about. We spend a lot of time, a lot of choices together, and so there's a lot of those things where conflict can, can come up. I spend more time with her than anyone else, therefore there's more opportunity for conflict than with anyone else. But in any one of those situations, it's not just about being committed to not letting rotten words come out, but only speaking things that build up. It's about being sensitive to the moment. If somebody's feelings are hurt, oftentimes we become more obsessed with communicating to them that their feelings shouldn't be hurt than responding to their hurt feelings. 
I can't believe wives didn't amen that. I remember one of the worst conflicts I ever had in my marriage. My wife was telling me how she felt, and I just kept telling her, but I didn't do that, but I didn't do it, but I didn't, but I didn't, but I didn't. I have 10-year-olds now, and I look back on that, and I'm thinking, like, I'm 10. I'm, like, in a perpetual state of being 10 years old. You just kind of, like, until you fall over on the ground. But I was more convinced with, with communicating to her that she shouldn't feel that way than I was in responding to that she did feel that way. I was clueless to the moment. And if I would have been dialed into the moment that, wow, she's hurt, then I could pick and choose the words that would build up and not the words that would just bring destruction and rot into the situation. So let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only the words that are good for building up according to the need of the moment. I mean, if I had my Bible open and my pen out, I'd be underlining according to the need of the moment. That is so important. I mean, the, the Bible says that a word in season has this powerful effect. In season is according to the moment. The timing is very important. And then you're going to get another so that. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only the words that are good for building up according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. It will give grace to those who hear. If I want to impart the grace of God into any situation where there is combat, where there is conflict, I need to be sensitive to the moment, and according to that moment, I need to only speak the words that build up and not the words that tear down. Now, we spent a lot of time on that. Moving on, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and just general boneheadedness be put away from you along with all malice. And then verse 32 is the, the point of this whole conversation that Paul is having with the church. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We take those words, apply them to our lives, and you have got kindness. I want to give you another passage of scripture here. Jesus is speaking in the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke 6, 35. He says, but love your enemies. Now remember I mentioned before the difference between praying about your enemies and praying for your enemies. Jesus' call is to love. That love is not just that empty four-letter word that we attribute to, to good tacos. But it's that word that is, is defined by patience, by kindness, by a lack of envy, by a lack of arrogance. It's that, that word that is defined by all of those godly attributes that we need functioning and active in our life. But love your enemies. You could literally scratch out the word love there and add any one of those attributes at any time because it's those things that make up love. You could put, but be patient with your enemies. You could put, be kind to your enemies. You could put, don't be envious of your enemies. You could put, don't brag or be arrogant toward your enemies. You could put any one of those things from Corinthians 13 into that slot where the word love is because love is made up by those things. Love your enemies and do good. It goes on to say, lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great 
And then you will be identified, or it says, you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind even to ungrateful and evil men. It gets real quiet when you preach that. I mean, it just does. But there's one part in that that I would want to just have highlighted for the sake of this message. Though you could pick any part of that and and build an entire message just on that one element, there's one part of this passage that I think is important. If we're going to say, I want a life that pursues kindness, I want a life that releases kindness, there's one element of this that I would like for us to identify and embrace, and it's expect nothing in return. Good deeds with strings attached are not acts of kindness. Expecting nothing in return is a key element to what makes kindness kindness. I mean, when God did all of the things that he did through sending Jesus and all with absolutely no strings attached, it's that kindness that's powerful. It's that kindness that leads to repentance. It's that kindness that leads to transformation, regeneration, washing of the Holy Spirit. It's that kindness that has a powerful effect. Our tendencies as beings who have selfishness attempting to creep back into their lives, our tendencies are to attach strings. For us to function and operate in the kindness of God, there can be no strings attached. I want to close with a passage of Scripture, and I believe this is probably the key to kindness. Now, I know it might be relative And for me, it would definitely be the key to kindness. For those of you, it it may fall somewhere on the list. Maybe it's number one, maybe it's number ten. But I think it's important, and I mentioned to you before we're going to find out how to be kind. This stands out to me as such a necessary thing for kindness to exist in my life that I'm willing to identify it as how to be kind. Granted, that's my opinion. You may have another opinion, but we'll find out shortly as we get into the word here in Proverbs Proverbs chapter 14, I want to look at verse 22. But what I have, it reads like this. Will they not go astray who devise evil? Now, new sentence. But kindness and truth will be to those who devise good. Now, when I read that, I immediately want to go, (laughs) devise is kind of like a villain word, isn't it? I mean, I'm not a cat guy, but I kind of want to have a big fluffy white cat and just pet it. I'm devising something. But I want the word to stand out to you because I think this is important. It talks about kindness being attributed to those who devise good. Kindness and truth will be to those who devise good. There's been uh, um, many times where there has been conflict, and I've mentioned before, uh, 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 there's no shortage of examples that I could give from my life. Examples from, from business, examples from ministry, examples from friendships, examples from marriage, examples from being a father and raising children. There's all kinds of, of conflict that I could draw from, but I remember a series of conflict where something stood out that was spoken to me by my wife. Where, where conflict had happened, kindness was, was missed, the, the bullseye was definitely missed, uh, more of an interest in proving that I was right or winning an argument, which is complete and total waste. Kindness was ignored. 
And to try to take some of the sting out of that, I then spent a, a, a too long trying to convince that my motives were okay. And literally, like that 10-year-old, uh, throw in the fit, I was back in the position of saying, well, I, I wasn't trying to be mean. I wasn't trying to be mean. If I had a nickel for every time I said that, I, I'd probably have a couple bucks. I mean, everyone says they'd be rich. They're not going to be rich. But they'd have some money. I say it a lot because, you know, my, I, I went, oh, my intentions. But, you know, we're not... We're not evaluated by our intentions, we are evaluated by our actions. And no matter what my intentions were, the kindness was absent in that situation. And as I began to say, well, I wasn't trying to be mean, well, I wasn't trying to be mean, and I'm getting frustrated because that's not getting me any points, you know. It's not like she heard me say that and was like, well, in that case, I love you. Come here, baby. No. I wasn't trying to be mean. I wasn't trying to be mean. And she just stopped me very, very politely. Any of you who know Ashley know that she's a very godly woman. You know, there were no cast iron pans involved or <laughs> death threats or anything like that. Just patience and stop me. I hear you that you weren't trying to be mean. But I can tell you you weren't trying to be kind either. Wow. Wow. And when I read the scripture, that's what I see as necessary. Kindness is going to be the result of those who devise, who are thinking of ways to do good, who are intentionally making an attempt for that goodness to be released through the words in that situation, their actions in that situation. And here I am just acting like a mindless ape, just oh, doing whatever uh, in reaction to what's going on and not being intentional whatsoever and then hoping that my intentions, well, you know I love you. I wasn't trying to be mean, but I was totally being mean. And it's because I wasn't trying to be kind. And in our lives, for kindness to prevail, for love to be more than some empty four-letter word that we use all the time, for love to be real and genuine and poured out in us and through us to one another, we need to be kind on purpose. Devise good. To ask God to do those things in our prayer life. Father, renew my mind that, that I would, would be thinking of ways to be a blessing. Would I be thinking of ways to release good that when people would, would see the things that I'm doing in response to the, the intentional actions, that building up on purpose according to the plan, your plan, they would see the full measure of kindness released through my life. I believe that that's the kindness that we're called to walk in. That's the kindness that makes up love, and it's love that leads us to where we're going. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. There where you stand, I want to pray and I want to ask God to, to do something in us. I know that I've issued a couple of assignments and, you know, sometimes those stick and sometimes they don't. Sometimes you write things down that you intend to revisit in your own time and then, you know, when you're cleaning out your car three months from now, you find it between the seats and 
and think, what was that again? You know. But I do know that right here and right now, there's no greater minister in the room than the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask and trust God to do something in us because I believe in the power of the word. I mean, I want love to be real and be genuine. I want it to exist in us. If that never fails, if it's love that never fails, and it's my desire to, to, to lead in such a way that we become the greatest Christian success in the history of all of the world, then it's going to require love. And I want to know and understand what that is. Obviously, it's going to be patient, and now we understand it's going to be kind. And I want to ask God by a spirit to bring kindness to life in our hearts and in our minds. I want it to have an impact on how we pray. That rather than praying that God get those suckers who have harmed us, we understand that we have a call to be kind in those situations. Father, lead me into your kindness, that I might lead others into your kindness. And I mean, for, for some of us, it might mean a total reset, and God's way into that. For others, it might mean a slight adjustment, and he's into that too. But no matter what, I know there's no one in the room who can't be affected in a wonderfully powerful way by the Spirit of God stirring kindness in our lives and through our lives. So I want to pray and I want to ask for that, and I want to trust that there where you stand, there where you are, God is meeting you and doing something great inside your life. You're welcome to be in a state of agreement or, or in just a mentality of receiving but I want to pray trusting and believing that God will do that in us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed your kindness to us. That in our time of need, when we were in bondage and captivity filled with anger and hate, your kindness entered in and turned everything around. We want to walk in that authority and that power. That it wouldn't simply be our testimony but it would be our lifestyle. That that power and authority to bring transformation into any situation or circumstance would exist and flow through our lives. Our words, our actions, let them reveal to this world the full measure of your kindness. And as we stand together in this prayer now, we ask, let a work be done by your spirit in our hearts and in our minds that would lead us and guide us in full truth as it concerns your kindness. Let kindness be prioritized in our prayer. Let kindness be prioritized in our words. Let kindness be prioritized in our actions. Show us the plans that we might build up according to the plan. Let us be sensitive to you, knowing that you are the author and you are the finisher. That we would ask, show us the blueprint for this situation that we would not behave in a way that would be destructive, but that we would build and construct what is of your kingdom through our words and actions. Let us be Jesus here and now on the earth, functioning and operating, empowered by your kindness and releasing your kindness. And let everything that has to go, go. Let everything that must come, come. And let an awareness and a sensitivity to all that you're doing in us and through us by your kindness be embraced and celebrated with a full measure of gratitude. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. We say thank you. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.